And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, it is Monday, September 20th. We are live from the bunker here at World Headquarters at SciFiForMe.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Glad to have you all with us. Uh, those that are here live, we do appreciate you being here. And if you're not live, if you're here on replay, or if you're listening to us on a podcast player, you're more than welcome as well. I've noticed we've had some listeners check in from Austria, Greece, Russia, Australia, New Zealand. So it's good to see uh, listeners from all over the world. I don't know. I, I, it, it seems to me that maybe I, I sound a little froggy today. I'm not sure what's going on there. I don't have, <coughs> I don't have any kind of a condition. Hello, Mazerus. I see you in the chat. Good to see you here as well. Okay, so uh, we do have the chat open for those of you who are watching live on YouTube or Odyssey. Over on Odyssey, that you have to have an account in order to uh, in order to comment. Uh, it's part of their uh, making sure you're a real person uh, security measure. Which okay, fine. Um. And you can always leave a comment if you're not live. You can send us an email uh, live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com is another way that you can get in touch with us. Let me adjust my chair here. All right, let's see. That looks a little bit better. So, okay. So, I wanted to do a couple of things here today. One is address some feedback that we got over the weekend, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because it's it's a relevant comment, and it's a valid comment, and it's actually something that, uh, that Mindy and I have discussed here on a number of occasions. And I have commiserated about it on a number of occasions and uh, shared with you my dilemma on some of this uh, a couple of times. But I just wanted to address this because... Uh, it's relevant to the overall everything that's going on. Uh, this comment uh, is basically a, a very quick three sentences. It, it was in reply to on our on our show last week where I was explaining things that were going on with YouTube. And that seems to have resolved everything, uh, at, at least at least for now things appear to have been resolved and we're able to broadcast and we're not running into any obstacles yet. <laughs> so we'll see how long that lasts. But the comment, and I'm reading here now, moved on and have basically become a political rant. Lost a subscriber. I came here for sci-fi news and entertainment, not more of this crap. And I say it's a valid comment. It's a valid thought because I have had that same thought myself and I've said it a few times this show is much better in my mind when we have guests when we have people here to we can talk to them about them and it's not just me and what I think and, and doing that um, but having said that I also think that it's important to address certain things because science fiction in general has always been a way for us to hold a mirror up to humanity and say, is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? Is this 
who we want to be as a people, as a species, as mankind ventures forth and makes progress technologically and intellectually. Is this the kind of future we want? Is this the kind of, of person I want to be? And I think my approach has been such that it stays within the realm of genre for the most part because you look at 1984, you look at Brave New World, you look at these dystopian fiction stories, and 1984 especially has proven to be prophetic in a way that I don't think anybody really imagined or envisioned. And I'm not, I'm not talking about vaccine mandates or the lockdown or the protests or anything like that. I'm not getting into the, the, polit the real world politics of everything that's going on around us. I have limited my scope to a comparison of certain things that are happening in the world, certain things that get said by certain people, and comparing those things, those particular individual things, to those things that appear in science fiction, dystopian science fiction, futurism, that gives us a future that is pretty bleak. And I think it's incumbent upon us that have platforms, whether it's a social media platform with a big following, it's a YouTube channel, it's a website, it's a blog, it's a whatever. I think it's incumbent upon us that if we see something that looks awry, if we see something that looks somewhat askew from reality, we have a responsibility to point that out. We have a responsibility to comment on it. Positive or negative, I, you know, you could see things and say, I like this thing, what's happening? Or you can look at it and say, I don't like this thing, what's happening, and here's why. When I look at certain things that are going on in the world, there are things that trouble me. And I have reason to be troubled because the fiction that I have read that projects forward on what things could be like in these times where things are leaning toward authoritarianism, we have a responsibility to speak out about that. But I'm trying to stay within the confines of science fiction, fantasy, horror. Trying to. And I think overall, for the most part, I've done okay with that. Mazur's uh, comment says, one of, that's one of the many things I like about this channel. You are constructively allowing criticism and feedback and exploring it. Most channels won't. They say they will, but they won't. Yeah, and it's... I personally agree with this comment because many and I have talked and and as things go through I've 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 beat myself up basically saying oh, this is not what this channel is about this channel is about science fiction fantasy horror it's not about politics it's not about republican versus democrat or brexit or or trump or biden or anything like that we don't we don't focus on those things but there are elements of our society that can and should be examined through the lens of the futurism that we have already seen, the speculative fiction that has come before and said, this could be a very bad thing, and here's why. <clears throat> but, on the flip side of that, I enjoy this show, this particular show, I enjoy this show more when we have guests. And we're going to have guests. 
tomorrow on the program, Alma Alexander will be here to talk about her new book, The Second Star. Uh, Perch will be here on Wednesday, I believe. i got to look at the schedule. Uh, Comics by Perch is his channel. He does excellent analysis and commentary on the state of things in the comics industry. We've got, uh, we've got Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan. Uh, agreeing to be on the show. They're going to be guests soon. We've got to pin down a date. Brink Stevens will be here later on this year. Scream Queen. She'll be here uh, in October. Cat Rambo will be here. So we have guests lined up, and, and, and it's a constant effort for me to populate the guest chair because I prefer the conversation as opposed to just me ranting because... <laughs> Ask Mrs. Boss, I could go on for a while about a number of things, but it's not appropriate to do that here. Uh, Eastland says, your show, your virtual living room, if someone does not like the snacks, they can eat ahead of time or not eat the snacks or leave. <laughs> You're not going to please everyone. Uh, and and that's, that's exactly right. And we've had conversations here, and I've said... At some point, somebody will decide what we stand for, whether we take a stance or not. I'm still waiting for that to happen. And granted, we're not a very big channel. I mean, we don't even have 2,000 subscribers yet over on YouTube, and we're sitting at 146 on Odyssey. So it's not like we're an influencer. It's not like we're some gigantic channel that everybody follows with bated breath what's he going to say next and that's fine i'm i'm not looking for that what's he going to say next uh sci-fi snipe says i think you're a better interviewer than ranter <laughs> uh yes i i will take that uh and and i you know i i enjoy having those conversations i enjoy talking to people about things and when it gets see and, and the the thing that bothers me about that comment it it tells me well it suggests to me that the person making the comment may not have been watching all of the other shows that we've done because this particular show, I know, has gone into the realm of politics a little bit more than it probably should have. Uh, I've tried to keep it appropriate, of course, like I've said. But, yeah, we have Good Morning Multiverse, which is all the headlines of the week in, in genre. There's no politics in that show. Salacious Crumbs is Star Wars news. There's no politics in that show. H2O, Mr. Harvey and I will talk about anything else but politics. Uh, because we're on, essentially, we're polar opposites in that in that regard, and we have those conversations every now and again, but we don't have them on the air because that's not what that show is about. So the other shows that we have don't dip into politics at all, which maybe this person didn't know about all of that so you know i'm like hey you know no no sweat i i totally get it you you know and and this show is better when we have guests you know my response is very respectful i tried i tried to sit there and say okay we're not gonna we're not gonna call anybody out we're not gonna call you names we're not gonna we're not gonna ban you or anything it was like you're always welcome to come back check out the shows we've got some guests coming up but I really like to have guests. <laughs> so, with that having been said, if you have suggestions for guests, I would love to hear them. Live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom or leave a comment. Uh, open airlock policy. It's likely the person complaining would not complain about the politics inserted in our favorite franchises if you have an audience, regardless of why most are interested in your takes. Well, I appreciate that. That's, that's a good observation. Just in case, welcome to the chat. Next month, I'm moderating a panel on politics in sci-fi, and having delved into it, I think the genre can and does actually get away with saying a lot that other genres can't. Yes, and that's, that is kind of the point of, 
science fiction in general. And it's the crux of the argument that people make, well, science fiction has always been political. May No. The idea of politics within science fiction, there's a couple of different ways that you can, you can look at that. Uh, and I hold up as an example of how it's done well the Honor Harrington series from David Weber. David Weber is uh, of a certain political bent, and you can't really tell from his books where he goes politically, where he where he leans personally. Now, if you're if you're connected with him on Facebook, you'll see. But as far as what's in his books, his politics don't override everything else. You have the characters' politics. You have the different government entities, the Star Kingdom of Manticore, the Republic of Haven, the Andermani Empire. All of those have their political structures, and their characters believe in those various different political structures. As that politics in science fiction, that's perfectly acceptable. Because it's within the bounds of the story. It's within that, that story universe and you're, you're doing the world building there. But then you get into something like this, for example. I mean, this is, this is just coming out today. This is a headline over on Comic Book Resources. The CW's 4400 reboot explores the history of white supremacy in America. And we've seen this before, a number of reboots and remakes and sequels like Picard, where the creators are sitting there saying, oh, this is an opportunity for us to talk about something. You don't necessarily have to make it about something. And this right here signals, whether intentionally or not, signals that this particular show, this remake, this reboot, is going to be political as a priority over entertaining. Now, it could be entertaining, but history has shown that when you sit there and market your reboot specifically with regard to intersectional representation or some sort of a social issue or something, the likelihood of it being good and accepted by a large audience is slim to none. Just in case, says I'd love to see Gregory Benford as a guest. Let me make that. Let me make a note. I will write that down. Gregory Benford. Why do I know that name? I know that name. Hold on here. I'm gonna write it down. Gregory Benford. I'm writing. Where's my pen? Pen. Pen. Gregory Benford. It's spelled with an E, so I'm assuming he's not uh, Benford Tools. <clears throat> Those of an age will get that joke. Um, let's see here. Oh, Robert, on the Honor Harrington books, the first book in the series is called On Basilisk Station. Uh, let me let me see if I can pull it up. It's uh, it is the first of the Honor Harrington books, and it basically, if you look at the um, the the Horatio Hornblower series from C.S. Forster, it's very much uh, it's very much like that. It's it's very much uh, in that in that same path. Uh, this starts with Honor Harrington getting a new command. It is a punishment command. She's sent out to uh, she's sent out to a part of the of the of the 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 Star Kingdom of Manticore to patrol, and she's kind of basically left holding the bag when her commanding her the 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 region's commanding officer decides to take his ship back. 
she gets basically stuck having to figure out you know the mission priorities with the limited resources she's got and and the thing kind of goes sideways let's say so that's a good that's that's the place to start on basilisk station is the first uh is the first book let me let me look this up it's possible that i've heard of gregory benford and i'm just not making a making a connection right here just yet um I mean, Benford Nebula Award science fiction author. I'm going to look at his bi bibliography. It's entirely possible that I've heard of this guy. I'm sure I have. Um, okay, yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I've only had two cups of coffee today. <laughs> um, so there we are. Okay, so... <clears throat> Benford is a big name. Sci-fi snob says Benford is a big name. Surprised you don't know him. I haven't read any of that. I haven't read any of Benford's work, but uh, I should. It's you know, the list of the things that I I should be reading and need to catch up on continues to grow. So uh, there is that. Um, yeah, Robert, you you will not be disappointed in in the Honor Harrington books. There are a lot of them now. Mm. Timescape. Okay. All right. Um, oh, Mazerus is still pushing for Danica McKellar. I, I, you know, I've sent inv invitations. I've sent emails. Uh, the, the next, the next thing to do on that list is to start making phone calls and say, "Hey, we'd really like Dana, Danica McKellar on." Um, I have my wish list. I mean, I'd love to interview Shatner, um, Kirstie Alley. I had had a lot of a lot of ideas. Uh, Robert, there are more than seventeen books in the Honor Harrington series. They're probably I don't know. We're probably close to thirty now, with all of the side stories and the and the short story anthologies and and those kind of things. But it's it's well worth their time. Well worth the time. All right, so let me let me get into this uh, bit here because uh, we mentioned we mentioned the the CW reboot, but I want to get into something that's been making the making the the rounds on the internet this week. A new book from JW JW Rensler, uh, the late JW Rensler. Um. It's a profile on Howard Kazanjian, a producer, film producer, very prolific film producer, who's been involved in another, uh, a number of Lucasfilm projects. And as part of this, there was an interview with Marsha Lucas. Uh, Robert, uh, the Arna Harrington Universe book one, Crown of Slaves is the first side story uh, adventure Um Basically, it takes place about the same time as uh, uh, War of Honor. So basically what it is, David Weber's got his mainline series that focuses specifically on Honor Harrington. And then uh, he and Eric Flint started collaborating on a side, basically a side quest series of novels that focuses on um, another group of characters and then there's there's a couple of others so it basically starts to um it basically starts to spread out so the honor harrington books became the honor harrington universe when we started to to spread out into various different stories um okay i uh Cam one one three eight yes test I do see you um, <laughs> the chat's been going through so I I've missed a few things so Cam says uh, people claiming they don't want politics really don't they want their wants promoted um, they're not commentators they're propagandists that that's a good point there are some people there are some people who are disingenuous when they say you know we don't want to you know we're not doing politics or anything like that. 
and there are some who are saying, well, you know, it, there's always been politics in it. They're, they're specifically saying that it's okay to have a certain type of politics in the story. All right. <laughs> so let's get into this. This book by, by Howard, uh, not by Howard, about Howard Kazanjian. Uh, by J.W. Rensler, forward by Marsha Lucas. This has just been released, and a couple of quotes have been started to making, uh, making the rounds. Let's start here, because it specifically concerns Kathleen Kennedy. And the, the interesting part of this is that, uh, the, well, let me, let me read it, and then, then I'll, I'll, I'll comment here. So this is from the book, and I don't know what page this is on, uh, but it has been cited. There's been a couple of, uh, of, of posts that talk about the, the page number in the book. I need to get the book. So reading from the, from the poll quote here, I like Kathleen. I always liked her, says Marsha Lucas. Quote, she was full of beans. She was really smart and really bright, really wonderful woman, and I liked her husband, Frank. This would be Frank Marshall, the director-producer. I liked them a lot. Now that she's running Lucasfilm and making movies, it seems to me that Kathy Kennedy and J.J. Abrams don't have a clue about Star Wars. They don't get it. And J.J. Abrams is writing these stories. When I saw that movie where they kill Han Solo, I was furious. I was furious when they killed Han Solo. Absolutely, positively, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I thought, you don't get the Jedi story. You don't get the magic of Star Wars. You're getting rid of Han Solo. And then at the end of this last one, The Last Jedi, they have Luke disintegrate. They killed Han Solo. They killed Luke Skywalker. And they don't have Princess Leia anymore. And they're spitting out movies every year. And they think it's important to appeal to a woman's audience. So now their main character is this female who's supposed to have Jedi powers... But we don't know how she got Jedi powers or who she is. It sucks. The storylines are terrible, just terrible, awful. You can quote me. J.J. Abrams, Kathy Kennedy, talk to me. And a lot of people are making hay on this. They're saying, hey, see, Marsha doesn't like him. Marsha Lucas, of course, George Lucas's ex-wife. One of the three, I believe, one of the three people who won the Oscar for editing Star Wars. Uh, page 333, Open Airlock Policy says. Thank you. And I know a lot of channels are doing, doing comments on this. They're, discu uh, they're discussing this. So might as well. It, it's interesting. You know, Marsha Lucas doesn't get talked about enough and the the general consensus among fans is that Marsha Lucas saved Star Wars and I don't know that I would go that far but maybe uh, she certainly was responsible for making some from some dis creative decisions in the editing bay and and you have to remember that she was not, this crew, uh, they were not the first editing crew. They were not the first editors on Star Wars. George Lucas was over in, in London filming at Pinewood, and they were getting all of this stuff shot, and they were sending it back, and they had he had an editor, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, who was putting this stuff together, and by the time Lucas got back, he's looking at this first cut, and it's a mess. It's an awful, awful, awful mess. And he fired that editor, and basically, in their home, with a Steenbeck in the, in the room, they're editing Star Wars from scratch. They had to pull everything apart, they had to start all over again. And Marsha is one of the ones who's, who's in there putting this thing together. And whatever the personal reasons, whatever the, the personal side of things, why they split up, the divorce or whatever, that, that becomes irrelevant to the, to, the, to the topic because Marsha Lucas is a, is a, is a well-established professional in the industry. She's done, she's done, you know, she's worked with Scorsese. She's worked with George Lucas. And for her opinion, 
holds a good amount of weight because a good editor understands story because you have to understand pace, you have to understand flow, you have to understand the ideas going from one to the next to the next. It all has to be consistent. It all has to go together in this tapestry of story. John Jimson, Open Airlock Policy, says, all right, thank you. Uh, Robert says, Amazon appears to have on Basilisk Station in paperback, audiobook, comic book, no Kindle edition. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big Kindle reader. But Marsha was one of the ones responsible for making Star Wars work as Star Wars, what we all know. So she comes in and she has this. Well, other people are pointing out she didn't like the she don't like the prequels. So here here is another another pull quote from here. George is in his heart and soul a good guy and a talent film talented filmmaker. Marsha Lucas says, "I wish he would have kept directing other kinds of movies." But when I went to see episode one, I had a friend who worked at ILM who took me as a guest to a preview. I remember going out to the parking lot, sitting in my car, and crying. I cried. I cried because I didn't think it was very good. And I thought he had such a rich vein to mine, a rich palette to tell stories with. He had all those characters. And I thought it was weird that the story was about this little boy who looked like he was six years old. But then later on, he's supposed to get with this princess who looked like she was 20 years old. There were things I didn't like about the casting and things I didn't like about the story and things I didn't like... It was a lot of eye candy, CG. And I have even said on a number of occasions that the prequel trilogy suffers from being a look at my new toys. The, the CG overwhelms the story. It overwhelms the acting. It overwhelms all of the performances. And it was, it was more a way of demonstrating technology than it was in telling stories. And Lucas, at that point, and I've said this before, Lucas was one of those where he basically got so big as a filmmaker, nobody would tell him no. He didn't have Gary Kurtz anymore. He didn't have somebody sitting there saying, George, we can't do that. George, we should do that. We don't have the resources to do that. We don't have the time to do that. That's not a good idea. Hello, the nerd perial life form. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. This, there are some really interesting usernames and nicknames that show up on live stream chats every now and again, I'll tell you. And Kazanjian says here, George said to me after episode one, I didn't even get a nomination for costumes or sets. If you look at that picture, whether you like the costumes or not, it was a costume picture and it was a huge set picture. Hollywood had dumped on George. And I think to a certain point, yes. But at the same time, the criticism of the prequels has been justified for me. I mean, they're, they're, they haven't aged badly, and certainly when you compare them to the sequel trilogy, they're much better. I mean, they have their flaws. We have to acknowledge that they have their flaws. And now people are sitting there saying, well, you know, we're, we're taking, we're taking the, you know, the fandom menace was right. Maybe. But I wouldn't put this on a particular on a particular group of fans. I think a lot of fans at that time were disappointed. Maybe our appreciation of them has grown, has evolved, perhaps. Over the years, there's a certain nostalgia filter now that's attached to it, especially given the fact that George Lucas has sold Lucasfilm. And a lot of people think that the soul of Lucasfilm is gone. The heart and soul is gone. Now, 
maybe John Favreau and Dave Filoni can revive it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll dive into it a little bit more on the other side. Remember, we we said we're going to start building in some breaks here because I want to I want to experiment and test the ad placement thing that that uh, that Google AdSense has. So on the other side of the break, we'll continue this conversation, and I will look uh, at the at the chat comments here while you can uh, uh, enjoy this. I'll be right back. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. It's a good reminder for folks out there in the world that not everything has to appeal to us in every conceivable way. And it's okay It's okay to not enjoy something, but it's okay that other people do too. And so, it doesn't, just because you don't like it, doesn't mean it's bad. And, and we should it's good if you and do we like it. stipulate that if you don't like it, doesn't automatically make you a racist Nazi. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with all of you. Happy to be here. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that this works. <laughs> so... Robert says, Disney dropped 2.5% this morning. I'm assuming that's the stock price. Eastland says, the right tone emotionally on the prequels. The CGI overtakes the story. The prequels seem overly earnest and clumsy. And Sci-Fi Snob says, actually, if I don't like it, it's bad. I, you know, it, everybody's mileage is going to vary on the prequels. I, I get that. And to a certain extent, everybody's mileage on the sequels trilogy is going to vary because there are some people, for whatever reason, they like the sequel trilogy. I, okay, that's fine. You're allowed to like something that other people don't like. And that's that's part of the that's part of the problem when you get into these things because now everybody is is taking that quote from Marsha Lucas and waving it like a banner and saying, You see, you see, you see, you see, we were right. There still needs to be uh, there still needs to be respectful dialogue to a certain extent. And I'm not calling anybody, I'm not saying that anybody is doing that, you know, maliciously. But we have to be careful. The I told you so mode only works so far. And I imagine I'll probably talk to Perch about this a little bit because Kelly Sue DeConnick, there's a there's a, an interview with her that's been circulating around that you, they take that original from the sci-fi channel where she says, if you don't like my my politics, don't buy my books. And now there's some, there's a new clip and I don't know what it's from. I don't think anybody's been able to source it yet, but it's recent. And she says, I like to be an optimist, but I really don't know. I mean, book sales are down and indie comic sales are down and the market's down and stores are closing. And she's acknowledging that the comics industry is in trouble. And there's a there's a an opportunity there for everybody to sit there and say, I told you so, but I told you so is not constructive. It's like, I'm glad you're acknowledging the problem finally. Now what do we do to fix it? We have to continue to, to work to constructive solutions for some of this stuff. Some of it's too far gone. And it will never recover. Star Wars may be at that point. It depends on a few things. Because rumors being rumors, speculation being speculation, 
Who's in charge? Is Kathy Kennedy going to continue as president of Lucasfilm? We don't know. There's a rumor she's going to get her contract renewed. There's also a rumor that she's out the door. There's a rumor that John Favreau is going to be in charge. We don't know. And it provides for a for it provides fodder for a number of debates and discussions and back and forth and and you see you see neener neener neener. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Mazur says the old 19s, 1980s idiom just changed the channel is completely lost and dead. You're expected to engage and be angry and even be vicious to come to the only conclusion that matters to you. And that's an excellent point. Fandom has become a holy war for some people. On both sides. I'm not, I'm not excluding people one way or the other. And, I, and not everybody does it. But the finger pointing and the and the flag waving and the I told you so's and and the predictions of doom. Oh, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be woke. This is going to be political. This is going to be this, that, the other. Oh, this is going to be, you know, more patriarchy. But whatever. We have to be careful. Robert says, I'm too old to enjoy Star Wars as much as I did as a kid with all my Kenner figures. I... Yeah, I can, I can relate, Robert. I really can because, uh, and, and, and Mrs. Boss can confirm, I have expressed a f more than a few times, I have expressed the concern about my own attitude towards genre in general, science fiction in general, sitting there thinking, have I gotten to the point where I am so frustrated and jaded and cynical and burned out on the fight that I can't enjoy any of it anymore? Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, DC any of those things. Battlestar Galactica, Doctor Who. Um, I'm seeing comments about why The Last Man having uh, having politics injected into it. And, and, you know, this new reboot of the 4400. You've got Patrick Stewart talking about Picard being about Brexit and Trump. I was like, enough already. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about Star Trek. I don't care about Star Wars. You know? Eastland says, we need new stories and new IPs. We do. And we're getting some of them. We're getting some in the indie comics group. But on the comic side, that's comic side of things. And we're getting some different stories and some different things with, you know, like Netflix and Amazon. But a lot of those are adaptations of stories. You know, the, the, the Lord of the Rings prequel and you've got the, the Wheel of Time adaptation and you have the you know, the Terry Pratchett stuff and the Neil Gaiman stuff. And those those started as other media stories and now they're being adapted to TV. But we need original television and film projects. And I would I would love to see the Indiegogo model, the crowdfunding model that has proven so successful in comics, I would like to see that become applicable for other projects. Not just comics. And I've got an idea for a comic book. But I'd like to see that model, that, that, that crowdfunding model, be applied to short films web series, um, documentaries, and there have been, been a few of those. Uh, we could do a, a print edition of Sci-Fi For Me material, maybe. You know, do a magazine. There's different things that you could do 
that don't retread everything. Reboot things. Remake things. Redo it over and over and over and over and over again. I have to say, I am I am curious about the new Rocketeer project. Because that feels like it's an interesting new take that actually makes sense when you consider the time period. Because if you have somebody new as the Rocketeer, somebody inheriting the role, uh, the, the, the persona of the Rocketeer, the hero, um, for it to be a Tuskegee Airman, that actually kind of works. And it's intriguing enough of an idea that maybe it sparks a little interest in people going back and doing research about the Tuskegee Airmen. Well, who were they? What was this group? What were they all about? And maybe that leads them to Red Tails, which was George Lucas's movie about the Tuskegee Airmen. I mean, things come full circle. But there needs to be new original material. There needs to be, you know, things like... <coughs> Excuse me. Things like Cayman America. Things like um, uh, the stuff that you know, uh, Saint Tommy, uh, NYPD. You know, Declan Finn's series. Because there are some things that are hard to adapt. I mean, Honor Harrington. I don't think we're ever going to get any Honor Harrington movies or TV shows because it's just so difficult to do. They're so complex. Same for Dragon Riders of Pern. I know it's been in development for a long time. But you're we're never going to get Dragon Riders of Pern. Not proper. Sci-Fi Snobs says, Large IPs are a crutch preventing good writing in sci-fi. Look at your local bookstore. See how much space is taken up by Star Wars or Star Trek versus new original stories. Yeah. It's... There's... Tie-in fiction, I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I would necessarily say that it's a crutch because some tie-in fiction is very, very, very well done. Greg Cox is an excellent tie-in writer. Uh, Dayton Ward, David Mack, um, the the Reeves uh, the uh, uh, the Reeves Stevens pair, uh, Judith and Garfield. There are some good tie-in fiction stories out there so I don't know that necessarily you'd say that the IP is a crutch but I think that publishers and Hollywood in general are afraid to take risks and the the yeah, Mazur says Kevin J. Anderson is an excellent tie-in writer and he is uh, but he's got really good original stuff, too. Uh, his Seven Sons saga is is really good. Um, and, you know, he did a, a couple of DC Comics tie-in novels. You know, his, his Enemies and Allies, which is the quote-unquote first meeting of Superman and Batman set in the 30s. It's an excellent, excellent story. But I think... I think the traditional publishing route and the produ the production people in Hollywood, they don't want to take risks. Right now, for whatever reason, let's remake everything, let's reboot everything, let's make a sequel to everything, The Rocketeer, The Matrix. You know, we've got at least two new Star Trek movies that are in the works. Let's adapt something you know, why the last man? Let's go back to Lord of the Rings. Let's let's adapt the Wheel of Time. American Gods. Nobody wants to do anything original. They want the name recognition to draw in an audience. So they want that pre-built audience ready to go to kind of prime the pump. Oh, this is really exciting. They're going to do this. They need 
new original stuff. And I honestly, I thought in the middle of this lockdown, when we're not able to do the $200,000 blockbuster movies and the superhero capes and all of that, I, I naively thought that Hollywood might take the opportunity to do some smaller films. You know, the $20 million film, the $50 million film. Let's make these smaller films that are not necessarily part of an, a, a larger overall story universe. Let's, let's tell those single stories that don't need a sequel, that don't need a prequel, that don't need a comic book, that don't need a novel, they don't need all this merchandising. But see, that's the legacy of Star Wars. Sequels and toys. And that changed everything. And there's no going back. But there needs to be some creators. And we're seeing it in the indie comics. But there needs to be creators in Hollywood. People like Mark Zickrey, for example, doing his Space Command series. That's new. It's original. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a Star Trek Babylon 5 kind of pastiche. But, you know, it's space opera. But it's original space opera. He's not doing any kind of an adaptation on anything. It's not, a, it's not an IP tie-in or anything like that. He's doing something original. And it feels like those old serials of the 30s and 40s, the Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon stuff that, that we got with Buster Crab. I've got an idea for a story like that. My kid came up with it when he was five. And he sits there and says, let's make a new Star Trek. We've got the ideas. Just got to get money, right? Uh, Mazur says, I think the writing problem in all IPs today is twofold. You have writers who don't have good original ideas, and you have writers who are colossally bad at tie-ins. You either need writers who examine the franchise carefully or consultant editors who examine the original writer and make sure they're staying within a reasonable headspace for the rules of that IP's universe. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of it. I think um, I think the other part of it, too, is you have writers who claims to you know who claim to be fans who don't necessarily you know they they demonstrate they don't necessarily have an understanding of what it is they're a fan of uh alex kurtzman claims to be a fan of star trek clearly he doesn't understand star trek but he's also not the one writing everything and you see the comments like what leslie headland said about you know putting together her writers room for the acolyte one of the people that's on that writing that writing team has not been involved, doesn't know Star Wars to save her life. Okay, fine. If that if that person is a talented writer, then maybe they bring a certain skill set and an outsider's viewpoint because you're looking there because sometimes we take for granted that the audience is going to understand everything about what this is. Well, this is Star Wars. You should know what all of this is. Not necessarily. Because there's always somebody new. And there are always going to be people asking questions. Well, what about this? What about this? I'm going through now with um, uh, Star Trek and, uh, Star Trek Voyager uh, with, with Mindy. And we've been watching Stargate. And we've been watching Deep Space Nine, and we've been watching Batman the Animated Series, all of these different things. And every now and again, Mindy has questions. Well, what about this? What does this mean? What is this? And so I explain things to her, and it helps. Because you always are going to have people who are new to the brand. So... Camp says, I had high hopes for Space Command and backed it. Well, I, I need to catch up with Mark. I did an interview with him a, a good amount of time before he launched Space Command. I need to catch up with him. I need to talk to him. So that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a note. Mark Zickery. i got to put Mark on the list to catch up on what's going on over there. Because I hear good things about it. I need to catch up on it. 
Eastland says, I watched Vagrant Queen, worst TV ever, and Poster Child for checkmark diversity hiring. Uh, yeah, D Vagrant Queen is an odd duck because it's a, it's a textbook example of identity politics, checkmark uh, check politics being the driving force on that because the book never sold very well. Uh, the book went to publication because of who was writing it and because of the identity of the person writing it. I mean, Max Visaggio has never sold very much in the way of any title. And Vagrant Queen was this adaptation of a book written by somebody that nobody knew. It was, it was an adaptation of a comic book that nobody read. And it didn't even last a full season because nobody watched it. Because nobody nobody heard of it. The alternative interpretation of that, and you could make the argument that nobody watched Vagrant Queen because Vagrant Queen was not part of some other story universe. It wasn't Star Wars. It wasn't a Star Trek show. It was its own thing. Maybe, but I I tend to think that. Don't, you know, like East, like Eastland said, it was probably not done very well. But the Sci-Fi Channel has a track record. Remember, anything good will only last three or four seasons, maybe. And it gets good, and it becomes popular, and then it becomes expensive to make. Um. Sci-Fi Snob says, I tried to watch Vagrant Queen so I can make a video roasting it. Couldn't get through one episode. Yeah. And Eastland says, an extreme example of some bad trends in the industry. I would agree with that. There are, and, and we see, we've seen this and we've pointed it out in a number of different places. The, you know, various different people commenting on the trends in Hollywood with regard to what kinds of stories are being told. Who's allowed to tell those stories? Christopher Priest is on record complaining about the fact that being a black writer, they would only give him black characters to write. Oh, you're black, you can write Black Panther. Well, what if I want to write Wolverine? Yeah, but you're black. You can write Black Panther. Yeah, but what if I want to write the Avengers? Or what if I want to write Captain America? Yeah, but you're black. You can write Black Panther. I mean, that's that's where we are right now. If you have a story with a lead person of color, it can only be written by a person of color. The showrunner has to be a person of color. If you have a character who's... LGBTQ. Well, you have to have an LGBTQ person play them. Play that character. That's going to come around to bite them in the back. Eventually. Just saying. Alright, that's going to do it for us here. Robert says, I downloaded Vagrant Queen to hate watch it, but I never did. Now I have something to do this evening. <laughs> How many episodes? I, You know what? I don't know. I, I want to say they didn't get past five episodes, but I would have to look that up. Uh, Cam1138 says, Cowboy Bebop looks the same. I don't know. I, I, I'm i not familiar with... Cow I, I have not been an anime guy, so I'm going to have to play some catch-up there because I've not watched... I've caught clips and bits and pieces of Cowboy Bebop. But I haven't sat and watched the show. My anime was Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets. So I've got to catch up on that. Um, uh, unless you're a ginger, then you can obliterate the resistance. Cam, I, I, will, I will address that because there is something. Uh, and you might have missed it because some other people did as well. Uh, Batwoman, for season three, has cast... Um, Bridget Riggin, a redhead, as Poison Ivy. Now, the irony is that the one show that gets the ginger casting right and doesn't flip it to a, a, a person of color 
is the one show that nobody's watching. I still cannot fathom why Batwoman got a third season. <coughs> Except for the fact that it generates social media buzz. And in this day and age, when Nielsen ratings apparently don't really matter much anymore, and the number of actual viewers that you have apparently doesn't matter anymore. What matters is... And, and maybe maybe CW looks at Batwoman as a loss leader. You know, you get people talking about it online, you get people talking about it on social media, you get people back and forth and arguing about it and debating it, and it's great and it's terrible and whatever. And it raises an awareness of the network to, to, so that people check out other shows. I don't know. It's a weird... It's a weird way to market your network. But if it works, I guess it works. Uh, Justin Case says, worse than Vogon poetry. <laughs> All right, on that note, I will let you have the last word. On that note, um, oh, Sci-Fi Sniper, it, it, it got a third season because it wasn't as bad as Vagrant Queen. I Maybe? I haven't watched either one of them. So, I don't know. All right, uh, coming up tonight, we've got a brand new, uh, a brand new H2O podcast at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Mr. Harvey and I are spinning out of our conversation from last week regarding Dune. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about other science fiction properties that are a challenge to adapt some would say unfilmable you can never make a movie out of this book so we're going to be talking about that tonight and we do have some changes in the works for salacious crumbs those of you who watch that show for the star wars news we've got some we've got some we've got some movement in that we'll let you know about what's going on there uh, fairly soon in the meantime, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel, leave your feedback, uh, whether it's a comment or an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. Leave us your suggestions for guests. Tomorrow, Alma Alexander will be here to talk about her new book, The Second Star, which has an interesting premise. You have a spaceship that's recovered after being lost for 200 years. And the crew is still alive and has barely aged. And they come back with more personalities than they had when they left. So the question is, are they insane? Are they possessed? Are they being visited by aliens? So I'm I've just started reading the book. It's it's, uh, it's pretty interesting so far. So uh, we will be uh, talking to her tomorrow. And I think I got to look at my my calendar. I think Perch is going to be here on on Wednesday to talk comics. So exciting stuff. Be uh, be here. Have your notifications turned on, and we will be back with more uh in the meantime check out all the rest of the videos tell your friends inflict us on your enemies and all that good stuff and remember uh i do i do have this one other thing just to circle back to uh our our earlier topic our beginning that we were talking about here the politics of obedience this is by uh estian de la Bete. i'm probably mispronouncing that Reading, reading here just for a moment from his, from his essay. Quote, Truly, it is a marvelous thing that they let themselves be caught so quickly at the slightest tickling of their fancy. Plays, farces, spectacles, gladiators, strange beasts, medals, pictures, and other such opiates. These were for ancient peoples the bait toward slavery, the price of their liberty the instruments of tyranny. By these practices and enticements, the ancient dictators so successfully lulled their subjects under the yoke 
that the stupefied peoples, fascinated by the pastimes and vain pleasures flashed before their eyes, learned subservience as naively, but not so creditably, as little children learned to read by looking at bright picture books. Be very careful out there of what they want you to see and read and hear and watch because that is how they convince you that there are five lights. But if you pay attention, you will see there are only four lights. Thanks for being here, everyone. I appreciate each and every one of you, whether you like what we do or not. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 